Welcome to Insider Coaching for Educators, where we explore the insider knowledge that coaches gain from doing the work with diverse groups of teachers and educational leaders. Join us in mindfulness practice and conversation to delve into those pieces of insider knowledge that we've all learned along the way. Whether you've been coaching for one month or for 20 years, we're so glad you're here and we're thrilled to be learning with and from you. Welcome to our latest episode of Insider Coaching for Educators. Laura and I are coming to you on a chilly and windy Wisconsin day. Uh, We're going to be talking about one of the most important things that coaching is not about fixing people. Stay tuned to hear all what we have to say about that. Today, like always, we're going to start our conversation off by sharing a piece of insider knowledge from one of our insider coaching community members. Today's piece of insider knowledge is from Laura Brudos. She is a teacher and a coach at Oregon Middle School in Oregon, Wisconsin. And she said, my insider knowledge involves maintaining a stance of wonder and inquisitiveness. I have found that the more I ask teachers to tell me about the thinking behind their curricular decisions, instructional practices, and personal habits, not to justify them, but rather simply to describe them, the more insights and understanding they develop on their own. In addition, I'm always hoping that when teachers are reflecting on their own, they will be able to contemplate the same questions, even when I'm not there to ask. I don't feel as though conversations in which coaches offer a lot of advice are nearly as powerful or impactful as when the teachers do most of the processing and talking. Because, of course, when teachers formulate their own insights and come to their own conclusions about the efficacy of their instructional practices, the likelihood that positive change will occur is greatly increased. I just love everything that she had to say there and am going to be thinking a lot about all of that for quite a while, I think. And you have a special connection to Laura, don't you? Yeah, I taught both of Laura's kids when I was a science teacher. I had both her daughter and son in my classes, and it was wonderful to get to know Laura as a colleague as well as a parent. Great. Thanks, Nicole. And a special thanks to Laura Brudos for sharing that with us today. And now um, Nicole is going to share our weekly mindfulness practice. Hi, go ahead and like usual, find a space where you can stand or sit comfortably. Try and have your spine be tall and long. We're going to work on acceptance today in our mindfulness practice. So what I'd like you to do is notice something that's happening right now, whether it's a noise, a physical sensation you have, or an emotion you're feeling. And as you notice it, ask yourself, Can I control this? Can it hurt me? And if both of those answers are no, then take a few breaths and try to accept the feeling, the noise, the emotion, 
don't try and ignore it or push away the fact that it's annoying or frightening or distracting. Simply be with it for what it is. keep in mind those two questions. Can I control it? Can it hurt me? And if you can answer no to both of those questions, don't try and push it away. Don't try and ignore it. Just let it be. Accepting it for what it is. It's a brief practice, but it's a super powerful one. I find it to be really useful in line at the grocery store because <laughs> there's a lot of things that you can't change or can't control and won't be hurt by. So take that one with you. Teach it to your, your coaches. It's, it's a useful piece for sure. Thank you again, Nicole. And I think that's particularly relevant in terms of what we're going to talk about today, because many of us are in the midst of situations where we are asked maybe to help fix something that we really don't have control over or that we don't feel comfortable fixing in the way that we're asked to fix it. This is why it's so important that as coaches, we really don't see ourselves as individuals whose primary responsibility is to fix people. Um, our role instead, and Nicole and I have talked about this often, is really to take somebody that we're working with from where they are to where they want to be and help to move them along in that journey. And that's easier said than done, particularly working in um, organizations where there are external goals and external pressures. Yeah, I think that it's probably important for us to start out really getting a handle on, and you alluded to this a bit, like what do we mean when we talk about coaching? Because there's a lot of ways that coaching gets used in our world today. And I think it's important that we're really clear that when we in these conversations are talking about coaching, we're talking about taking teachers from where they are right now and making that connection, helping them get to where they want to be, not where we want them to be, but where they want to be. So we are bridge builders. We are pathfinders. We are guides, but we are not fixing. We're not taking people that are broken and, and putting them back together. Nicole, I am so glad that you said that. I think it is, it's easier said than done. Yes. When you're working in a system like many of our education um, systems are right now, not only in the U S but also around the world, working in systems where teachers are um, evaluated in ways that highlight their deficits as opposed to their strengths. Mm -hmm. 
And when we as coaches are working within that system, it's very easy to get drawn in, right? Yeah. To, to that feeling that we need to fix what's wrong. And I think it's particularly hard because that's what our teacher preparation programs in a large part have taught us to do, right? Like we are there to take these students, fill them up with information. And if they can't get it right, we need to fix what's wrong with them. Like we have a deficit-based model that much of our current K-12 school system, at least here in the United States, is based on, and we're working to change, but we're all really swimming in this like fix it water. And it's not only within the school systems, right? I mean, we say that everywhere, you know, every ad that we see on social media and on the, and, and on television is around how we need to fix ourselves. Yes. <laughs> how we need to do things differently, how we need to eat differently, how we need to exercise differently. Um, so I think this is why, um, this issue is, I think, particularly tricky mm-hmm. because even if you're a coach who is fully, fully committed to supporting teachers in the way they want to support it, be supported, um, there are not only external pressures, but also sometimes internal pressures and blind spots. Like I, I, I am certain there are times where I thought I was guiding, but really like somewhere deep down inside of me, I was like, oh, but we do need to work on this thing. And that thing needs to change that I was not aware of, but I'm sure have happened. So where do you think those, those um, come from? So those, those pieces of, I would say probably they are judgment, right? Those are, Mm -hmm. they are coaches making judgments and we need to make judgments as coaches um, at times, but where do you think some of those, those judgments came from that maybe were compelling you to work in a way that wasn't necessarily true to your why? I think almost all of them come from as almost all of the judgments I make ever probably come from something that like triggered a feeling of lesserness in me. Like, oh, that's something that also I'm, I don't like about myself. So we must fix it in other people as well. Or like, I'm not good at that. And so we got to make everybody else better at it because it's something that I would want to fix. So it's like the, the things that would be what I would want to work on if I were being coached are the things that I want to work on in other people, I think, for me at least. That's so interesting. And I'm wondering if those areas become areas of judgment also because as a coach, you feel like you need to prove yourself when you start as a coach. So those areas that maybe you see as vulnerabilities, you don't necessarily want others to see. And I think it's, it's easier. It's easier to fix someone than to really get at what it is they want and help them figure out how they can get there. Like it's easier to just say, this is what's wrong. Here's how I'm going to help you change it. It's so much easier, right? <laughs> Especially working when you're working with an external definition of what that individual should be doing. Yes. 
right? And, and teachers are just bombarded by those messages of what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing um, through sometimes professional development initiatives that they're involved in, um, sometimes through curriculum programs that say, well, you've been teaching that the wrong way. Mm-hmm. So you need to use this new curriculum, which is going to be the right way to teach. Right. To teach this particular topic or subject or, you know, content area to your students. Yeah, I have, um, I had an experience. It was not with a, like a particular way of teaching as much as we had a new teacher come into our district. And I think they just hadn't quite figured out like the school culture and how far teachers went to help kids and not, you know, just like sort of sorting out that, like, what's the norm in the building. And they were struggling a little bit and they were teaching some very um, like high level classes where you had students who weren't going to keep quiet about the fact that they weren't, you know, getting the extra help so that they could get the grade that they, I mean, really like that was the student's concern, right? (laughs) Like I'm not getting an A and I should be. And so how am I going to fix this? Right. There it is. How are we going to fix this? And so my administrator called me in to his office and he was like, you know, this is going on. I need you to go in and work with them to like fix this problem. And He's, you know, he said, I've talked to this teacher. They're expecting to hear from you. You know, this isn't like, you don't need to like go in cold and do this, but I have never had a less productive and more guarded conversation with a person than this first conversation we had where their perception of me was that I was coming in to like lay judgment on them and you know, tell them everything they were doing wrong and how they needed to change. And it took a long time for us to shift that relationship because I was sent in there under the guise of fix this person. And I wish that I would have been more experienced. So I could have said to my administrator, you know, I'm not sure that that's what we want to do. I'm not sure that that's the way to deploy this. I'm not sure that that's should be our approach because it didn't work, (laughs) you know, like, and the teacher did eventually get settled into the culture and everything worked fine, but it did not work for our relationship and it was not it was not me coaching and it took me a really long time to get them to believe that i was there to coach and not to fix right and that's a dangerous place to start in as a coach particularly when you're if you're in a a new setting um because that message spreads pretty quickly yep you are seen as the coach who um, is working only with the weaker teachers. Yeah. Whereas both you and I know that our most, many of our most um, rewarding and just super inspiring coaching relationships 
are often with the best teachers in the school. Right. Right. Who just, who, who, who know where their areas of improvement are and are just, are, are so passionate about wanting, wanting to strengthen those areas. And also even I, Dylan Willem wrote a really interesting article, um, about coaching and his whole perspective was sort of contrary to what a lot of, um, a lot of coaching perspectives are in that he firmly believed that we shouldn't be working on areas of weakness, that we should be taking teachers and building on what they're really good at and getting them to be great at what they're good at instead of like good at a whole bunch of stuff. You know, he was very much like become a master, not a jack of all trades. And I thought that was a very interesting perspective and it makes it next to impossible to have a fixing mindset if your whole program is we're just going to get you better at what you're good at. I think that's a really uh, interesting perspective and what do you do in that case then with the teacher who comes to you and says you know I'm really struggling with this. In Dylan Willems you know is um, really a master of formative assessment, right? And he's, he's really fascinating. I've seen him present and gained a tremendous amount from what he's shared. And so I'm wondering what he would say, you know, if somebody came to you and said, you know, I'm really struggling with how to incorporate formative assessment in my class. Please help me coach, you know, help me, help me move forward so that I can do that so that I am more comfortable incorporating this into my class. My, my gut, like I obviously can't <laughs> speak for him, but based on having read this article in this program is that it would be like, okay, what are you good at? And how can we leverage that to help you incorporate formative assessment? Like, are you really good at having conversations with your students and getting to know them? Okay, let's make your formative assessment. Like you're probably already doing formative assessment. So let's start there and figure out like how you're already doing the skill you think you're not good at and then build on those things that you are good at to get there. And that really requires, I mean, a shifting in even the way that we ask questions, Mm -hmm. right? Those initial grounding questions that we ask in the coaching conversation. And I think that opens up such an amazing, inspiring uh, possibility when we're working with a coaching partner. I think so. And I think that, you know, to me, it ties back a lot to what Laura Bruto said about like really wanting to know people's thinking behind things, because when you figure out why they're making the decisions they're making, it gives you an insight to where they feel like their strengths lie. You know, most of us aren't making instructional plans based around what we're not good at. Like we're, we're, we're putting up what we do well. and. I just think that all of that, like the more that we're able to gather information about the people we're coaching, the more we can see how skilled and talented they are, making it easier to not ever think that you want to fix them because you can see all of these facets of greatness that they have. Oh, I I love that. And it, um, I love 
um, the idea and I love the practice of starting with that question. What do you do well? Yeah. And I think that's different from starting as, as a coach with the assumption that the teacher is an expert. Yes. But I've always said before, I always start with the assumption that the teacher is an expert of their class. But as a coach, if I go in and the first question is, well, what do you want to work on? Then that automatically starts the conversation in a, in a deficit place. Exactly. Whereas if we just make that one minor shift at that, the start of that conversation and say, you know, what do you really, what do you really want um, to highlight? That makes it, that could make a tremendous difference. I mean, I think it opens up the conversation. It really shows to the teacher that you assume that they're good at things, right? Like it doesn't, it's not just you saying like, I know you're great, but like you're interested in that. And I think that that's just like good for your, to me, when you, even when you like pretend to ask that question, like it just relaxes me. Like it allows my body to feel like, oh, like I don't need to be prepared to defend myself here. Like I can be a little more open, which I think is obviously really important in any coaching relationship. Well, and especially because the most committed, um, strongest classroom teachers I know, they're very well aware of where they need to improve mm -hmm. or where they want to improve. And um, sometimes I found that they beat themselves up more than they need to, right? Oh, yeah. They're doing amazing work. And, um, and, you know, and my role as a coach is to remind them of that and to help them not be so critical. Exactly. Of themselves and of their work. So, so we've talked about, you know, how we define coaching. We've talked about why it's dangerous to fix people and even some things that we can do to help coaches, not, or not coaches, but help coach ease, not feel like we're there to fix them. Is there anything else you want to share about fixing? You know, the one thing I was thinking about is how reflective coaches have to be all of the time. And you alluded to this before, Nicole, but I think that even when we assume that our intentions are well positive and that we are well-intentioned in our actions, that there are, there are potentially moments when we're saying things in a way mm -hmm. that's not allowing us to achieve the goals that we have for our relationships with our, with our, our partners. I think this is a really good one. This is a really good example of that, this topic, because I think that there are so many things that contribute, both, again, external and internal factors that contribute to why we sometimes can come off as coaches, as seeming like we want to fix our coaches, mm -hmm. even if that's not our intent. And I think that all comes back to, you know, we've, we've talked about this in other episodes a lot, like, 
it really comes to me for me, I am most likely to seem like I am in judgment or be in judgment when I'm not well grounded in myself. So like it all comes back to that. Why am I doing this? Am I in the proper space to be doing this right now? Like you just need to be all there when you're coaching folks. And when you're not is when you slip into judgment and you slip into accidentally sharing something you should, you know, just like that's where you make your mistakes coaching when you're not present. Yes. And you know what I did? Um, I actually just recently put a post-it note on top of my computer screen that says, be curious. Nice. And I use that phrase because I realized that I tend sometimes to shift into idea generation mode too quickly Mm -hmm. because I love it. Like I love designing (laughs) curriculum. I love sharing resources and generating ideas with people, but, um, that that's slightly different than my role as a coach should be at least at the start of a conversation with whether it be a team or an individual teacher. So that phrase, be curious is a little reminder to me, um, to, whenever possible, pose something as a question. I love that. I absolutely love that. And that's a great example of what we're asking folks um, to do for their take action this week. Like we, we would like to hear from you all about a way that you rein yourself in when you start trying to fix someone. Um, what you said, Laura, is more like preemptive, not so much reining in, but I think it's the same thing. Like, what do you do to keep yourself from falling into that fixer mode? As always, at the end of each episode, we're going to ask you to share a piece of insider knowledge that you've gained in your coaching experience. Please share them with us on our social, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or Check us out on our website, Insider Coaching for Educators with the number four. See you next episode.